0: open outspoken it's ophthalmology off the grid an honest look at controversial topics in the field i'm blake williamson i'm gary words gary and i are very excited to do ophthalmology off the grid who, who here who here uh, listens to ophthalmology off the grid podcast all right cool this year, uh, we wanted to do something um, super special with a guy uh, who I've admired uh, from afar. I-, I don't know him as much as I'd like to, and we're going to get to know him today.
1: Yeah, I, this is, uh, and Shannon, if you want to just go ahead and come on up, this is uh, a round of applause for Dr. Shannon Wong, uh, Austin I. Support for this podcast comes from
0: Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology.
1: Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Um, so Shannon, I think we, we first started communicating um, back in the AS series chat board days, the good old, the, the good old bad old days of the AS series chat board. Um, you're here in Austin, your partner John, uh, you, you both were pretty active on that, and for those of you who don't know, like before uh, social media and before Instagram and Twitter, there was this thing called the ASCRS, ASCRS chat board. Uh, it went away a few years ago, uh, but it, for a long time it was a nice community where people got to share cases, and that's really where I got sort of connected with Bill Tratler. and once you know Bill Trattler, everything else, you know everybody else very quickly. Um, but Shannon, you are always a, a a voice of reason. You always had great advice about cases. You gave me some good advice about patients over the years, um, and so we wanted to. You know, when Blake and I were were talking about ophthalmology off the grid live, we thought, who better than Austin's favorite son, Shannon Wong? So with that, <laughs> let, let's let's uh, let's get this let's get this thing started. So Shannon, just introduce yourself a little bit, maybe give us a little bit of a background on your practice, about you know, your, your practice philosophy, maybe even how you got started in ophthalmology if you don't mind.
2: Okay, so um, I'm, the, I'm an ophthalmologist in private practice here in Austin. I, we do a lot of cataract and refractive surgery, and uh, I'm, I'm 55 years old, so I'm older than a lot of your parents. Uh, so uh, but uh, yeah I started in ophthalmology here in 1997 I've been with the same practice Uh, I joined a practice that my dad started in 1969 and my dad worked as an ophthalmologist until he's age 80 he retired in 2019
1: he literally just retired just a few years ago 2019, unbelievable. That's unbelievable.
0: What was what, what were the early days like? Uh, whenever you were here, Austin was probably a different place, uh, you know, 50 years ago. Talk about you growing up here. Talk about um, how was your what was your house like uh, in terms of uh, if you have an ophthalmology father. I have an ophthalmology dad, so I kind of know what that's like. Was it always going to be medicine? Was it always going to be ophthalmology? Take us take us back to that time.
2: Uh, so Austin at the time, uh, this was 1970s. it was about 250,000 people. There were three ophthalmologists in town and my dad was one of them um yeah i, I mean we, we you grew up and I'm, blake i'm sure you you know the ropes but uh, ophthalmologists are generally happy people and we would go around town and people would recognize my dad and say hello and they seemed pretty genuinely happy to see him so you go through this path of well where am i going to go to college Can I? do well in college? Can I make the grades? Can I even get into medical school? And then you you climb that mountain, then you go through medical school. Can I make the grades? Can I even get into a residency program? And then you you do that and then you come out and practice and, and you, you start climbing mountain after mountain and it really never, it never ends. So,
1: you know, there's a lot of people here and I, I have to just say, this has been such a fantastic group of people um, I have met so many wonderful young medical students, residents, early career physicians. Um, so as, as you look out over this you know, group of future ophthalmologists and leaders, you, know, you navigated each one of those milestones, and I'm sure there were challenges along the way. What, what are some of the challenges that you faced during your journey of not knowing if you're going to get into medical school, not knowing if you're going to get into residency, that maybe would resonate with some of the people who are you know, aspirational ophthalmologists
2: out here? I mean, everybody knows you have to do well academically. That's what I call academic currency to get to the next level because numbers do matter. Uh, but if I had to go back, um, what I would learn more about is uh, leadership of other human beings had evolved to be a, 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 a the best possible human you can be by studying other people. Uh, you're, your professors, your boss, your academic attendings—if you're in medicine—and kind of acquire the great qualities, character attributes that these people have. And then you're also going to meet the other end of the spectrum of people who are who are great role models of what you shouldn't do, and learn from those people too. Yeah, the ca- the
1: counterexamples and the examples. Um, I know leadership is a a key area that you that, that we share, you know, in terms of our interests, and we, we both have a an author that we both like, uh, Jocko Willink. Um, I know you've had the opportunity to actually go and and, and sort of study under him at, at some conferences, and I know you're a big fan of his philosophy. But will you explain your leadership philosophy? I mean, as a as a leader in ophthalmology, I mean, you you run a practice, you're taking care of yourself, your family, your kids, your practice, your partners, you know, each ring. Will you explain a little bit about your leadership philosophy and and maybe even in the context of how uh, Jocko Willink and
2: extreme ownership has influenced some of those ideas? It's it's about checking your ego always. So approach everything from a humility standpoint. Um, Try to make everybody around you better. Put others before yourself. Uh, And that's part of just being a considerate human being um, so every day I realize that I can only be as productive as the team around me. So I think one thing that I, I don't hear in medicine is the creation of teams in medicine that act as force multipliers to make the healthcare entity that each of you will be um, more impactful over your life. So if you can learn to work with other people, communicate well with them, understand them, uh, set a good example for them. But um, it's it's a lot of like self-reflection always um, and then thinking about the needs of others.
0: Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, one, one fun thing about this season of, of Off the Grid, if, if those of you have been following along, is it's been all about business. How do you grow your business? How do you grow your brand? Uh, and I can't think of a better example of you when we're talking about that. Um, but I bet you it wasn't always like that. I'm curious if you have a mistake uh, or, or a bad decision, that, uh, business-wise, that you've made, and perhaps something that you did really good that you're proud of. What's a what's a great decision that you made that that you're happy about, and what's a mistake that you wish you could take back?
2: Yeah, I've made so many mistakes. I would say the first 15 years of my career were kind of a mistake. <laughs> um, oh, <clears throat> this, this expand on that. Yeah. So I, I mean, I've learned a lot. I, I, I mean, my, my, I joined my dad and he had his style and his philosophy and I grew up with my parents and they had a lot of positive attributes but I didn't realize how much wasted potential I had Um, so I thought of my I I was very much a I'm a self-sufficient person I can do everything myself I don't need the help of others and I had to look beyond that, get over myself and learn that I uh, there were certain moments where I I would visit another practitioner another ophthalmologist who was just crushing it, doing so much more uh, they were so much more productive than I was and I just analyzed and I go oh, it's because he's not doing everything himself he's actually created a team around him that allows him to be more efficient but in order to create a team around you, you have to um, understand how businesses are run and how people operate and and develop an organizational chart and define the roles and responsibilities that you need to have in your organization to succeed. And then that's a whole nother art of hiring, recruiting talented people, uh, compensating them well to retain them, and then growing the business so they, they don't feel like they're their lives are stagnant because everybody wants to grow.
0: You gave us that timestamp of 15 years. So, so what changed, uh, or or what was what's a what's a great decision? What's one of the best business decisions that you've made? Uh, how have you how are you able to start to shape your practice after the first 15?
2: I mean, we had a good foundation. We had an ASC, a 1OR ASC, which is huge. If you're in cataract refractive, or even if, in my opinion, you're any ophthalmology space, having an ASC is crucial, pretty much doubles your productivity. Um, Yeah, I learned that I need to form a team around me. And uh, then we we also, uh, we used to do our own marketing and we've tried every marketing media. I mean, we've done print media, magazines, newspaper, billboards, radio, but then just like Somebody was talking, I think it was you guys were talking about earlier. You you hire people, raise Rob Melendez, you hire consultants. So I, I realized, well, um, we got a lens, act, we got a femtosecond laser for cataract surgery in 2012, and we were early adopters of this type of stuff. And we used to do all our marketing kind of homegrown. And, and then, I, so I, I looked for a marketing person back in that era, 2012, and there were certain companies who did marketing, but then I, I they, they would market for like Southwest Airlines and then a, a local shoe company and then they would incorporate healthcare. But I found a guy who does marketing not for just medicine, they do marketing for cataract infractive surgery. And I go, oh, and I looked at their stuff and I go, oh, I could never do what they do because that's just so next level. And so that opened the door to how to market.
1: I think that's a really interesting thing. And as as ophthalmologists, medical students, residents, you know, it's a double-edged sword of being a capable person who's willing to take on challenges because you do start thinking, you know, I can probably do all this myself and I can do it better than anybody else can. But like also Dr. Dell said earlier today, you run out of time and, you know, time is going to be your most precious commodity. So how do we, you know, how? how did you make that decision? Was it a burnout at 15 years where you're starting to feel burned out or you're starting to feel like I've got more to give, but I, there's, there's a block here because I think a lot of times, you know, there, people feel trapped in a certain area and they're blocked. Like what was the thing that made you sort of just like break through that block of, got, I've got to do
2: it all myself and actually take the risk and change. As a resident, you as a medical student you do the history, physical review of systems, et cetera. As a resident in ophthalmology, you do a comprehensive eight point eye exam, et cetera. You do everything. And that's how I trained and that's how I practiced for for the, at least the first decade. Yeah, we did a lot of LASIK when I was starting out. So that was our bread and butter. I did very low volume cataract surgery. Um, but I realized the most productive Productive practices. Uh, the best use of an ophthalmologist's time financially is, set, is doing cataract refractive surgery. So then when I saw that, I go, well, I only have one life. Do I still want to keep refracting? Do I still want to do all these things that I was doing, contact lens fitting, et cetera? I go, no, I, I really can be most productive in the operating room. So I formed a team around me. We hired optometrists. We hired a lot of technicians. We enabled our technicians to do a lot. They're basically phys- physician extenders in our practice. So yeah, now my, uh, I don't see regular eye exams. I don't want to see emergencies. I don't, do, I don't follow glaucoma patients. I don't see diabetic routine eye exams. My only patients I see, and we screen these on the front end, are patients who want surgery or we've done surgery on them and we're managing them postoperatively because they're not quite happy. So it's a very narrowly focused use of my time, but it's the single most productive use of my time as an ophthalmologist.
0: Talk about your family a little bit more. So those of you who've seen some of the slides, uh, I think it was Jane from earlier, you know, uh, the ophthalmology department here is, is named after the, the Wong family. Um, the philanthropy uh, that y'all have done, the success that your family has achieved, not in ophthalmology, of course ophthalmology, but but other things, real estate, other things. How, how did that come along and, and how involved are you in philanthropy locally? Um, talk a little bit about that.
2: I remember I was at like a, a fundraising event with ah oh gosh he was a he's a professional athlete, and this was like fifteen years ago and um, he said the one thing I regret is I didn't start my philanthropy earlier, and I, that just I remember that and then we all grow up and we we go to college and we see things that are named after people um and then we go to medical school, and you see that too, and uh, you know as as a younger ophthalmologist, I was just grinding away, trying to pay off my house, uh, get a car, all those things. But if you keep applying uh, a lot of discipline, a lot of hard work, you'll build a financial base if you can think like a business person. Um, <clears throat> my my dad basically did that all his career, and he used um, a lot of his business sense to invest in real estate. And so uh, he he would continue to invest in real estate. Um, I, I was doing well uh, in the business. And so I started investing as well. And um, at a certain point, I remember they were going to open a medical school here at the University of Texas Austin. And I said to my dad, I said, you know, you've got enough stuff i'm going to have enough stuff why don't we why don't we donate to the medical school to create an ophthalmology department cuz that would be pretty cool and so basically that's what we decided to do um and i'm sure we'll continue to do that over the course of my life and and uh, that's what we do so we've created an ophthalmology department we have 3 Residents and we've matched our second group of three residents. Uh, so, our first group of residents is in their first uh, PGY one year. Uh, we have five faculty that are full time. Um, I my priority is my private practice, but I do work kind of behind the scenes with um, our ophthalmology department.
1: One other thing that I've I've enjoyed uh, as I've gotten to know you and have have sort of followed you in in your career is some of your educational videos that you've made um, on YouTube. I, I don't know this. I think that they're probably among the most popular videos for patients to watch. I, Blake and I do a lot of things for our colleagues and educating, you know, each other and but you've really taken this more towards patients and I think it's very unique. Can you just talk a little bit about like what led you to go to YouTube and, and, and make these videos that are more patient-facing. And can you talk about how that's helped your practice and what kind of reception you've gotten from patients
2: who have come in maybe because they've seen your YouTube videos? Yeah, it was kind of by accident, so it was around 2010. I remember I was watching Uday Devgan, and he was creating videos around that time, and I sent him an email. I said, how do you, how do, you do that? And he kind of explained it a little bit. And my kids at that time were younger and they were watching a lot of YouTube. And I thought, well, maybe I can create some videos, some vlogs. Uh, There's a YouTuber named Casey Neistat and they really liked him. so I go, well, maybe I'll create some videos, but I'll do it in a world where other people aren't making videos about eye surgery. I'll make them about eye surgery. And then it morphed into, well, I'll do it to educate our patients and then I'll do it to educate our staff. And then I I went down this rabbit hole of, hey, this is kind of like a creative writing, so I would write the script, and it's it incorporates technology. I would I would get better and better video cameras, and then I learned it's it's about audio. Audio is as important as video when you create a video, and then it's production quality and. Um, somehow the YouTube algorithm will eventually recognize it, and it's taken on a life of its own. It's re- it's really I, I do it because I enjoy it. I I don't do it. I I do it for education, um, and if anybody can benefit from it, I think that's cool. Um, I'm not the type of guy that goes like and subscribe. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, Smash that like button. <laughs> but it, it 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 has created a an, an interesting effect in that. I literally see people from all over the world coming to see me every day because they said, I saw you on YouTube. And I, I don't usually dig into it, but I don't even know what resonated with them. I, I don't understand it.
0: Well, I think it's the content itself. I mean, it's, it's so topical. I remember when the Symphony Lens was launched you know uh, you know it was just massive uh, that this surgeon would not only be going through their their lens replacement surgery but also document it uh, like you did and you know it's got hundreds of thousands of views because all around the world people are trying to figure out hey how do we make this lens work uh, what are the what should we expect and oh wow well here's a here's a very well-known surgeon who had it on his own eye and, and is taking you through it and similarly when you know new lenses come out you know, the new lens euphoria comes out and I'm like I wonder how this compares to this I bet you and Wong has looked at that, and I literally like type it into YouTube, and yep, there he is comparing, you know, panoptics to whatever, you know, and so you pick the right content, you pick what we're all thinking about and talking about, and you do it in such a good way, uh, I think that's what, what drives us at least, and patients probably feel the same way, they're wondering which lens I should get.
1: Yeah, and so to that end, how what is your process like when you have a cataract consult? This may be for a little bit more like seasoned ophthalmologists, but I'm, I'm curious myself, so I'll ask the question. You know, all the time when we get cataract consults, we're trying to figure out how do we push education to them before they come in? How do we educate them so that they know uh, what the difference is potentially between d- lenses, even the difference between near and intermediate and distance vision? Are you doing are you sending them links? Are you sending them surveys? And then, how does that process translate when you're com- when they 're coming into the office are you uh, what 's your education process in counseling patients for for surgery
2: for a patient who 's never been to our office yeah a new patient's <laughs> coming in for a cataract consult for example uh, well, we have some i 've made some videos, and um, our staff will usually email the patient and send them a link to um, certain videos and then internally, you know there 's a lot of we go through a lot of the similar discussions. Hey, this is an eye. This is the this is this lens. This is how the, the eye focuses a picture, and this is how our lenses change over our lifetime. Well, I thought, well, why do we have to keep saying that? Why don't I just create a video and present it to the patient, make it clear, concise, simple. Um, for our surgical center, um, they all get a... Uh, an informative video that tells them what to expect before surgery what to expect after surgery what's normal so they all know that after cataract surgery it's normal to be a little blurry to see a little shadow out to the side and their eye may be a little red and their vision will be blurry the first day or two and then it gets better so I'm answering all the questions to actually make our practice more efficient and save us time um Yeah, I mean, in the old days, we were told, hey, you've got to find the patient and then mail them all this stuff. I never mailed people stuff, but we we use email and text messaging to give them information so they're more informed walking in. And then we we also lead them to our website, which has video content on it. We tell them, go to this page, go to that page. So the more informed a patient is before they come in, the easier it is for them to make a decision once they're there. It's almost like if you want to buy another iPhone 15, that you want to know what's the difference between an iPhone 15, iPhone 14, iPhone 12, iPhone 12 Pro, et cetera. So you just want a chart that makes it easy so you can make a, a purchasing decision. Well, in, in the eye care world, to make a surgical decision, it's basically the same thing. Um, so present that information such that when they come to the office this is this is like practice business stuff that they can make a decision on the spot that they don't have to go hmm let me go home and think about it and I'll call you back they're you they're in out done
0: and I want to ask a personal question regarding family business, you know, because I'm in a family business, you're in a family business. And sometimes family business is tough business, you know. So, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, you know, you're so lucky that you had family involved. You kind of knew the secret password of ophthalmology early on. And yes, there's a lot of benefit. But what I found, at least when I was starting out in my practice is it it, it was actually more difficult because I felt the need uh, to prove myself that much more. I wanted to exceed everything that 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 you know my dad and my uncles had had done because i didn't want to feel um you know that i'm just entitled to all this i wanted to kind of prove it i wanted to show it um and that that can be a weight it can be a bit of a burden um you know to 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 do that did you kind of struggle with that finding your your spot and, and and you know how is it working with family
2: i i think that's to your credit um because I mean, I, I think I told you this saying. There's a there's a saying I, I tell I tell my son, uh, who's who's in college. But I I I tell him I said uh, uh, there's a saying that uh, good times make weak men, weak men make hard times, uh, hard times make strong men. So I it, it's it's very easy to be the beneficiary of I guess. The woke term is privilege, and to kind of coast. But uh, I, I, I mean, when I when I joined the practice, yeah, I think there was the perception of oh, there there he is, he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Um, but I mean, I, I, we don't get to where we are without a lot of hard work and a lot of discipline. So, I mean, I, it's everybody's wired differently, but I. I was very driven. I'm still very driven. So I just, you, know, you have to fight through that and prove yourself. But you have to prove yourself every day. So they, they, as it, it's like there's a saying, the only easy day was yesterday. Every day you're in the, in the practice, you're being scrutinized as a leader. You're being scrutinized as a doctor. So you really have to prove yourself every single day. Just because you were great yesterday doesn't mean you're great today or tomorrow
0: Yeah, and sometimes scrutinized unfairly you know and you have to be cognizant of that as well and and uh and you can't complain about it because nobody wants to listen us complain you know that's why we're in the position we are you know and so having to kind of overcome that i think is is important you mentioned your your sons i have three sons you have three sons you know talk about that piece have you you know i'm just now getting to the point my boys are eight four and three I'm trying to learn how to be a better dad and a better father. I got to say, sometimes the dad stuff doesn't come natural to me. You know, the reading to them when they go to bed and driving them to school. I'm like, man, I kind of just wish I was you know, hanging out, you know, having a glass of wine with my wife right now. But I'm having to put the kids to bed. But after I do it, I'm like, that was a good thing to do. I'm glad I did that. You know, I'm trying to learn how to do that. Um, you know, have you have you kind of gone through that because you've been so busy? You know, your whole life. How did you how did you raise three young men?
2: Uh, I'm blessed with like a great wife (laughs) so when i was when our kids were very very young um i i was there i was present um but my wife was full-time with them um and as they get older you yeah i make it a point i I did i was intentional in being a present parent um and kids are very endearing up until probably the age of twelve to thirteen and they want you to be around. Um, and then for those of you who this is in your future and Gary probably knows, after the age of thirteen, they they kinda want their independence. And by the time they're about sixteen, and especially if they have a car, they they don't they don't know who you are. <laughs> and so they go through stages and it's just part of the normal thing. But you you do your best in those foundational years to be uh, the best role model you can, and you hope it sticks.
1: And then I'm sure, you know, as a, you know, as a father, I think about, you know, things my dad told me, and I'm sure you probably went through that same thing. Did your dad give you any good advice growing up that you've been able to pass on to your kids or something that was that, that stuck, um, something that resonates with you?
0: Pay your taxes, tip your bartenders. <laughs>
2: Yeah, my, my dad's very much into business. He he, he wants to pay as little taxes legally possible. <laughs> so run your businesses that way. Um, no, I mean just he said an example. He he said a good example uh, by just working hard and uh, taking taking good care of the business and, and providing for his family.
0: And Shannon, I want you to talk about your news center because I did the drone flyby thing. So he made this amazing video, drone footage going through your news center, which is beautiful. Uh, maybe just kind of, you know, in these last few minutes that we have, just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, building that news center, the new ASC, and, and maybe what the future is. So so you said you're fifty-five, you know, what's what what's what's the next 10, 15 years look like for 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 your uh, for for Austin I.
2: Yeah, so the drone footage, there was a Um, There's a TV series on HBO called Hard Knocks and it's about football and a few years ago they had a, a, a season about the Dallas Cowboys. So the introduction to that season was a drone fly through the Dallas Cowboys practice facility and I go, oh my god, that's awesome. And then there was around the same time there was this very viral bowling alley drone video and then about a year or two ago, there was another uh, viral video flying around the Chicago Cubs Wrigley Field. And I remember those. And so it was New Year's Day this year. I was sitting at home, nothing to do. And I was, I was going, who did this stuff? And I found the studio. And I emailed them. I said, can you come down and do our building? And he said, sure. And so that's I hired the, the people who I thought were the best. And they did a great job. So why did we feature that building well i did want to build um, the best what i considered the best eye care facility in austin Um, and so we bought we invested in real estate in a a nice part of austin and we want to cater to the people who want to do um, elective surgery and so we want to build from that and we're renovating our other offices Um, and that takes a lot of hard work um, it, it, the only people who can do that in ophthalmology are probably people who do refractive surgery, um, and for the next 10-15 years, it's just to grow the business and uh, work with the uh, local ophthalmology residency program that we've and, and, and teach medical students here at UT Austin, and uh, and then we'll see what the future holds.
0: You know, really, in my experience, the best way to inspire you know hope and wisdom um, in the next generation is to talk to people who've blazed the trail ahead of us, people who've made difficult choices and decisions in order to live an extraordinary life and have an extraordinary practice. And uh, from Gary and I, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Blake.